gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Fine, I can hear you now, Dimitri. Clear and plain and coming through fine. I'm coming through fine too, eh? Good, then, well then, as you say, we're both coming through fine. Good. Well, it's good that you're fine and, and I'm fine. I agree with you. It's great to be fine. It's, it's a podcast. podcast. Hello and welcome to Fighting in the War Room, episode 33, the review segment for Friday, August 1st, 2014. Happy birthday month, Dave Gonzalez. Thank Happy you. Happy August to everybody else. Summer is somehow almost over. Um, today, all four of us are here together and for the last time for a little while, and we're going to review Guardians of the Galaxy. This is a very special episode in so many ways. Uh, everyone cross off Dave Saw the Movie on your bingo card. Hey, I hope someone got bingo. If not, I guess clear your cards after this month. It seemed, we, we never tell people to do that. Somebody has to have like five bingos by now. <laughs> Please, You, t- you take this bingo game very seriously. Bingo. I'm a pretty big fan of the bingo game, too. Anyway, we're not here to talk about ourselves. We're here to talk about another ragtag team of heroes. Oh. Sorry, I said heroes. <laughs> uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. It's the new Marvel movie. Uh, if you didn't let Dave spoil the whole thing for you months ago on Latina Review... You, uh, you may have learned oh, by seeing the movie. Oh, this, 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 I am Groot. <laughs> uh, it's directed by directed and written by James Gunn. Uh, it stars Chris Pratt, who grew some major abs for this role. It's about some people who are in outer space, really aliens and one person who are in outer space. Uh, they wind up becoming uh, heroes for reasons, mostly because they're chasing after this MacGuffin thing, and then it turns out that uh, another really bad guy wants to get it. This is the way that most movies like this go. What's important is that it is funny, that there are charming performances, that there are people who are very excited about this as, uh, as a new direction for the Marvel franchise, as a star vehicle for Chris Pratt, as another chance to see Zoe Saldana play an alien who is a different color. Um, and the reviews have been outrageously positive. And I kind of want to start with the person who I don't know what they thought about this movie, which is Patches, because you just somehow managed to see it at the Wait. worst uh, movie theater in America. Um, it's not the worst movie theater in America. They just didn't know which theater they were showing. Any movie in. theater showing Guardians of the Galaxy is the worst movie theater in America. Oh, David, wow. I Well, not there we go. Just <laughs> right at the beginning. <laughs> Patches, Yikes. what did you think of Guardians of the Galaxy? Um, well, I, you know, I, I have read some Guardians of the Galaxy comic books in my lifetime. I enjoy a good uh, sci-fi adventure story because I can, I can enjoy a movie that's just kind of throwing the weird out there and sending some, um, uh, obviously shaded characters, but at least jamming them together and putting them in one space and that's, that can be exciting. I don't think... Any one of these characters from Chris Pratt's Peter Quill, you know, this Han Solo-y renegade guy, Smart Alec, or Zoe Saldana's Gamora, this warrior lady, or Dave Bautista, who take his he plays Drax, the destroyer who takes everything literally and wants to avenge his his family. Um, or, or Rocket the Raccoon, this crass little rodent who loves guns. I mean, the, all of these characters are pretty basic um and and if the personalities meshing wasn't so exciting the way that they're kind of forced into uh this uh, circle circle hole they're like all square pegs going into circle holes and that seems to be the exciting part for me like and and sending them to really weird places like one of the places they visit is a giant head that of, of an old celestial being that has been turned into a mining colony. Like, that's enough for me to kind of... Uh, that's daring in, in the way that um, 
I can just I can just take that information and uh, digest it and send my imagination soaring. Like that's the weirdness of this movie goes a long way for me. I think the movie's a mess. I really am surprised how incoherent it is at times um, in terms of the direction, in terms of the script, in terms of the pacing, in terms of the action. Like there's no handle on this movie. I think James Gunn. Um, he has, How much he did I understands... pay you for this review? <laughs> I don't remember. <laughs> he he has a grasp on the tone. He uh, like me appreciates a good weird a good weirdness. Um, and I think Guardians of the Galaxy is the most comic book. A comic bookie of all the Marvel movies because I want to keep flipping pages and just see like what what they're gonna splash across the screen next or like what silly dialogue scene can they whittle down from this weird scenario and one of the best scenes of the movie is when the f- um, five I guess it's five people because we include Groot um, who just stands there and goes Groot and looks adorable actually he says I uh, am Groot I am Groot um, and the best scene in the movie is just them standing around talking with each other and bouncing with their personalities and not really the action or not whatever the crazy plot is. Um, and that's when it becomes a horrific time. But I enjoyed horrific. it thoroughly so, because... So wait, so wait, are you saying you didn't enjoy the action scenes? I think I just couldn't... There wasn't much to enjoy in the action scenes because... And this goes through a lot of Marvel movies. There are not a lot of wide shots in Marvel movies or the action's not paced in a way that's thrilling to both character growth this is this is a weird this is a weird movie movie. what's the one marvel movie that doesn't make that mistake that happens to be by far my favorite of any of them well the avengers has the money the avengers has money to open up and i think not having wide shots in the captain america movies works to its advantage because it's a they're both both captain america movies are kind of smaller scale adventures so you can get away with it but like movies like thor thor 2 and guardians of the galaxy are these big epics they're or at least they're evoking the history of epics in different ways fantasy or sci-fi and really this movie never breathes and from like soaring through space i mean i don't remember them really going around the different planets of this movie they kind of just end up on different planets and then they they walk onto a new set that just seems very suffocating and i find the action to be the same way and yet and yet it's so kind of bustling with oddities and the personalities here are strong enough maybe and maybe it's a testament to the performers here and with standouts like dave bautista wwe wrestler is pretty freaking good in this movie and just seeing them bounce off each other is enough for me and so yes it's a total mess in the hands of james gunn but um i think what he nails is the the strange the the and and meshing that all together in the tiniest moments um just to spin up what you were saying about the wide shots, and then maybe this is a good time to throw to David. Uh, the probably the one time it does open up is when they have the title of the movie on the screen, and uh, in the very don't steal my one my one positive thing to say. All about right, this well, movie. fine, but David. Uh, that's the one thing I could think of when it really opened up and was great. So uh, talk about why you liked that, and then hated everything else. Yeah, the <laughs> dancing in this movie is so much better than the action in this movie. It's true. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, Guardians of the Galaxy is essentially Cowboy Bebop for basic bitches. It's really, really watered you've been down. Really, you've been working on that one Did, no have you, have you tweeted uh, that so yet many, I, I, there's so many one-liners ago. Uh, exactly it also, was basic script. basic bitches is your new favorite phrase i've heard oh, you describe that, that several is, movies that is unapologetically my new favorite phrase i was i had i needed uh three people in my life from different backgrounds to all use it before it was able to congeal for me i think it's a threshold that i have for phrases working into the vernacular anyway uh i can't think of a movie that suffers so much for being pg-13 as this movie does i mean all the personality all the things that work huh. you can feel it 
being squeezed down from the much, much, much better versions. And it's why Rocket the Raccoon is so painfully unfunny because Bradley Cooper is given the worst one-liners because his character, who should be this horribly curmudgeonly alien rocket who's saying all these vile things, you can tell that he wants to, is for saying one-liners like, oh yeah, when he has a gun. <laughs> I feel like he's like Slurm McKenzie or something. Uh, but yeah, the title shot of Guardians of the Galaxy is magical. The It's, uh, it's really, the movie peaks in this first five minutes, but it's uh, it sets the mood. It, it lets you know everything you need to about Star-Lord. Uh, it plays the song that has been insidiously bored into my brain ever since which is come and get your love by redbone 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 i want to say redbone uh they were one of the first native american rock groups um so i think redbone is probably what they're called but don't quote me on that soft rock is not really my specialty um and it, it really everything that i think marvel was looking for out of james gunn when they hired him is evident in that title sequence uh and not really elsewhere in the movie, what I did tweet, um, not the Cowboy Bebop thing, was was something to the effect of, you know, only Marvel can make a movie about a talking raccoon, raccoon, and a uh, giant mutant tree feels some, like something I have already seen a million times before. And that's to sort of corroborate what Patches was saying, but also to contest it a little bit. The problem is that the movie isn't nearly weird enough. This feels like every other Marvel movie. The beats are incredibly asinine uh, and predictable. The storytelling could not be simpler and and not in a way that sort of is rich with purity, but just just very basic. I mean, there is a fair and palpable amount of emotion in this movie, but it is all... uh, Really sort of primitive stuff that the movie instructs you how to feel every step of the way. There's no intellectual wiggle room here. Um, the structure is a nightmare because the villain, as per course in Marvel's movies, is completely useless. Uh, and, does and covered not re- in makeup again. That covered seems to in be makeup. a recurring trend. Though. He like, does not can't reflect. can't actually just see the actor. Right. He does not meaningfully reflect our ragtag group of heroes in, in any in any way. Um, he makes me significantly concerned about future villains in Marvel movies because Josh Brolin, who appears as Thanos in this movie, I laughed at and I do not think – I understand. I was told later that he's in love with death and that's why he wants to amass all this power to just sit there in a chair for all eternity. But Wait, in uh, love with death? Death? Dave, Dave, don't even go there. You, yeah. Don't even yeah. go there. Uh, Actually, but, yeah, I don't this wanna, is not I the time. Think, <laughs> I do not want to think about Thanos again. But this is uh, – I thought the movie had some very neat visual composition. Some of the wider looks when James Gunn's incompetence or lack of funds or combined you know, for, for these action sequences wasn't on view. Uh, and he's just sort of allowed to sort of take in these alien vistas. Looks lovely. I mean there's a lot more visual imagination in this movie than there is I in – I totally in, disagree with that. There's a lot of great shots, and this I, is an ugly looking movie. I'm really, I'm kind of shocked. How, I, maybe the, my theater was kind of dim, but I can't imagine maybe. seeing it in 3D you because you did go to the worst movie theater in America, and, <laughs> yeah. and we saw it at a press screening. But it, it did not pop with the colors that I was hoping. I, I was very impressed with some of the with some of the sort of some of the vistas, as I said. Um, I it's just it's not very funny. The heart feels completely manufactured. Um, the sequel teasing that the movie spends its last twenty minutes doing is so aggravating, um, and it's so blithe with it as well in a way that I think eclipses even the movie's sardonic sense of humor, where they're like 
blah, 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 this huge thing that obviously sets up the movie. And Peter Quill goes, oh, interesting. Okay. <laughs> and like they move, they move on. I mean, I think this is I, – I was on the fence about it coming out. I wrote, wrote The Subway Home with Katie uh, and really soured on it since uh, as its bleeding pleasures have gone away. I do think that first scene and the fact that it has a soundtrack to complement the completely generic Marvel score. It has oh a great God, it's soundtrack. It's same generic Marvel score, which is what really blew Yeah. Uh, the soundtrack is, is a huge plus and more Marvel movies should have one if they're going to keep reusing the same terrible music. Dave. Oh, man. I disagree with everything these two bozos said. <laughs> I don't... I, I mean, I get what you guys are talking about, but it just seems so bizarre to me that it's like when we talk about what we want in Marvel movies, which we don't talk about a lot because I feel like I have to force the topic occasionally because we all feel like they're like shoved down our throats. But what we want is something that doesn't stop like Iron Man 2 or Captain America Winter Soldier in the middle and have to download a whole bunch of like Marvel history into you so you know how to react to what's inevitably going to be a bunch of CGI in very wide shots patches at the end. I don't know what you're talking about and like everything feels claustrophobic. Yeah, they're in space. And then the few times that Star-Lord actually goes outside of space, they do so well with the 3D at least both times that I've seen any of uh Guardians footage. I saw the 17 minutes in IMAX 3D, and then I saw my screening was in Dolby Digital. <clears throat> and both just make really good use of space 3D, which means that there's no back because it's black, and it's one of those beautiful things about your mind is you have like infinite space 3D, which is going to make gravity good. Anyway, I should really reel it back and be very specific about this movie. I just feel very off balance because it's like none of your criticisms seem to ring true to me because I feel like they were reaching for all of this, but they needed it to clip and they needed to have a clipping pace, I mean, and they needed to make sure that uh, everybody knew where these characters stood, which is going to come into like Wikipedia-like shorthand in a few scenes because we don't want to necessarily like have a flashback of Rocket I like being that. torn apart or tortured. I think the or... characterization is the best part in the movie. And yeah, even definitely. Like, even like the simple explanations for why they're aggravated, you know, why they are losers as they're described by Peter Quill. Um, totally. I, that, I found that very affecting. This movie works as well as Little Miss Sunshine works because they're both note card oh, movies. Interesting. Both, I hated what, that movie. <laughs> well, I mean, that's they're both. I mean, uh, he's a fellow NYU grad, so I don't want to you know smash him too much. But they're all note card movies. Like each character has a three scene arc where you know they're introduced, then their problems there, and then their problems solved, and those are sprinkled throughout the movie with a MacGuffin chase and action scenes, and you just lay it down and play it out. And the best thing you could hope is to put a joke in every time things get rough so people laugh at the joke and kind of forgot things got rough. And for me, this movie works messy as though it is. But it's like if we were to give Edgar Wright an Ant-Man movie and hope that, you know, Edgar Wright would shine through the Marvel system, this is exactly James Gunn shining through the Marvel system huh. as much as as much as Shane Black was capable of shining through the Marvel system, which wasn't a lot, but just enough to show like that he's there. I so, would actually, I would agree with that Shane Black comparison to a huge degree, especially because I feel like it comes through more in the writing than in the directing, which I can Oh, totally. And the and Sean then, yeah. Gunn, where James Gunn goes, Sean Gunn, a.k.a. Yes. Kirk from Gilmore oh, yeah. Girls, follows. There's a really sweet article on BuzzFeed today about 
the role that he played in being Rocket's uh, on-set well, yeah, stand in the movie. I recommend you read. Anyway, Dave, go on. They're, they're the new Howard brothers. It's going to be really adorable as we go forward. <laughs> but Sean Gunn, at least, you know, doesn't... Anyway, not, a, not important about the gap teeth of the Howard brothers. Uh, this, I don't know, it's really worked well for me, and I think it was really smart of Marvel to show that they're capable of doing like essentially one-shot team-up movies because it seems to me like all the other things are getting so mired in television shows and interconnectivity and you know are we gonna let Scarlett Johansson have a showcase piece so she could prove her own solo movie it was nice for them to take a chance on characters nobody had heard of and then also allow those characters to not have to rely on the success of the Avengers at all. It's a completely sort of independent thing. Thanos shows up, but only as much as the Emperor shows up in The Empire Strikes Back, basically for the exact same function. And I can't say that I hated the fact that the Emperor existed in the first two Star Wars movies, because that would be a lie. It's kind of annoying that they're teasing him, but eventually he's going to do something, and if that's sufficiently awesome... Well, that's anyway, what I like about the I, Marvel... Yeah. The, it's really the only thing I like about the Marvel manufacturing system is this hierarchy of villains that they're building with their phase structure and that you know we'll be able to look back uh, if we haven't all taken our own lives or died of Ebola in 20 years and we will see that they have built up you know we'll look at the villains the pathetic villains the Mickey Rourke's in, in Iron Man 2 and then <laughs> see the masters he served and the masters they served and the masters they served all the way up this chain of command until you know I'm completely ignorant in all things uh, Marvel that aren't in these movies, but maybe there's someone pulling all the strings, and it'll be fun to watch that unravel. Totally, and I mean, I was told David on that subway yeah. ride will be uh, sitting our children down before the yeah. of Iron Man 14, being like, "All right, kids, here's 20 minutes of history you need to know before you go to this movie." Let me tell you about how America defeated Thanos. <laughs> anyway, Dave, this- are you at all concerned about? How embarrassing Thanos is on screen. Like, is there someone who's much more terrifying than Thanos who's going to take his place? Because I'm not, I'm not scared. No, here's the thing about Thanos is um, whenever you're sort of introduced to him in the comic books, he always plays that goofy. He looks goofy. He's walking around talking about how he wants to have a romantic relationship with the concept of death. Um, but then all of a sudden he puts himself in a position to do some really scary stuff. And I'm hoping that like he worked in the comics by the time we've seen, you know, like eight movies of supposedly the most powerful beings on earth, he's going to be able to step in and do something really shocking. A la what Hulk did to Loki at the end of the Avengers that just sort of instantly contextualizes him as a threat. But that's so far in the future. And I really like what did Hulk do to Loki? I've seen the movie a hundred times. I can't remember what you're talking about. Puny God. Huh? The, the, the whole end of the Avengers, what actually happens to Loki? Yeah, isn't he fine like they always are? So is he, he's standing on a rock talking to Thanos, and that's when I roll my eyes and... <laughs> oh, yeah. Out of the no, no, what's okay. The <laughs> so, okay, Loki's the, Loki's the villain of the Avengers, and then Hulk walks up to him and then basically just smashes him against the ground until he stops moving. And oh, that's, yeah, but, that part. But then yes. he's fine, Puny so God. who cares? But No, no, but what I'm saying is that takes a villain and then it contextualizes how powerful Hulk is against that villain. So all you need is, like, you know... Then Hulk and Iron Man fight, and you know X happens to Hulk. So then this person's the most power powerful. If you're just gonna like mildly incapacitate someone for a few minutes, I mean, that's, what's the point? All I feel I'm like saying, we're way off. Yeah, yeah, we're, yeah, we're, we're off. getting off. Okay, I really I like Guardians of the Galaxy. I would like to think he's uh, barely in the movie. It's a non. He has n- not relevant. Thanos has nothing to do with this movie. Yeah, yeah. Ronan, yeah. He, Ronan, it, all, all I can think about is Ronan Farrow, and I'm just like, that's not a problem that I had. 
Ronan's a valid complaint. Anyway, I really like this movie. I think it's really going to work. I think it's smart of Marvel to put something like this in the middle of its dense, kind of depressing phase to get in comparison talk, to phase Talk one. about more if it's working on its own, not in like the Marvel verse. If it's so separated, then why is the conversation going back to what happens next or what happened before? Like, I, I mean, I, I enjoyed this I didn't, movie. I, so no, you I guys brought that up by so complaining. You guys complained about Thanos. I Dave is talking about right now just because Dave is interested in how the Marvel I didn't bring I up how, I, about the pieces of the Marvel Universe while watching yes. the movie, and I really appreciated that. I, I I didn't bring up how it was connected. You guys talked to start trash talking Thanos, and I had to step in and explain it. This <laughs> movie, right. Right. this movie, this movie has n- this. The greatest strength of this movie is that it is doesn't lean on you knowing who Robert Downey Jr. is and what his arc is or who Thanos is. You don't even have to know any of these alien races existed before because these characters ground you and find recognizable moments, be it the soundtrack or jokes or slang that would never actually be in the galaxy. It doesn't matter. It's such a fun movie. I really enjoyed it. Katie, please Wait, say but, you also enjoyed it. Can I ask you the one thing? Yeah. Because I yeah. agree with you that well, I mean, it's it's objectively an origin story, and so of course you don't have to know these characters are going into it. But I was actually kind of frustrated by what I didn't know about Peter Quill. Uh, I had no idea when they introduced him as an adult and he's bounding around the galaxy in that great credit scene, sort of what kind of guy he was. I mean, he says he has an ego, obviously, and a reputation that he wants to uphold. But I, mm-hmm. I had no idea if any of what he's saying is true. If 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 he is the badass that he pretends to be or if he is the loser that the, everyone who encounters him thinks that he is. Well, didn't you just say that the, I really wish we got years. more. Wait, 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 wait. wait. Yeah. You just, like, him wait, 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 hold on, not, hold on. D- I don't David, need all the backstory revealed. I just didn't feel like we got to know him solo first before he kind of becomes the ringleader of this group. He's just suddenly very noble. I'm pretty sure. He is, he's uh, 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 no. a thief. Wait, wait, I'm pretty sure if we go back. And why like, can't he go to Earth? I don't understand. No, he's afraid to go to Earth. Oh, God. I'm pretty sure that like 10 minutes ago you said all you needed to know about Peter Quill was in the first five minutes. That's all you need to know about him is like emotionally. Yes, that's it. That's all you need to know about him. I certainly needed to know more about who he was, you know, the facts about him. You see, the thing, if I started telling him, if I started started telling you right now the backstory of Peter Quill, you would eventually shout me down for getting too geeky. That's what this film's power is, is you don't care. Chris Pratt is able to just step in, in these scenes and be in them, even in ways that you're not going to expect, like when he's confronting Drax and Gamora for the first time in the prison, or when he's able to suddenly make something emotion with basically unrecognizable facial features in the middle of space. Anyway, no, I don't think... A, it, he's a, you said it perfectly. He's a note card. Yeah, it, it's a I note mean, card movie. He, you, get, you meet Spike Spiegel, to make my Cowboy Bebop reference, uh, and you know within minutes... So much more about him than you ever learn. And things that you can intuit so much more than you ever can about Peter yeah. Will. But well, I I'm guess gonna, the movie the has a lot on its plate. I mean, the the opening of that movie, not the backstory with his, him as a kid on Earth, which I can do without, but uh, the Indiana Jones part where he's stealing the orb. I feel like that basically tells you this is Indiana Jones. Then he hops in his hunk of junk spaceship and you're like, oh, he's also Han Solo. And that's kind <laughs> of, I was kind of okay with that shorthand. Like that Loved his face me. mask. That was great. Yeah, liked his face mask too. Like, I don't know. There's like, I I felt like there was plenty of that. That was the problem that I had was not so much like understanding him as someone I wanted to root for in the movie, but when it came time to actually feel anything for these people. And I was uh, emailing with Dave and David earlier today, uh, quoting a line from Stephanie Zaharik's uh, highly controversial review, um, in which she talked about how 
when the emotional moments come, James Gunn is kind of telling you what you're supposed to be feeling. You know, he sets up the music and he sets up the expressions on the The characters faces. tell you. Rockets like, we're friends. We're a team. Yeah, there's, a, there's, there's plenty of that too. No, and, Drax the Destroyer is like, I will stand with you because we are yes. friends again. And I'm like, yeah, well, yeah. It's I guess the that's same exactly di- what like, it is. Literally <laughs> the same dialogue from Transformers, which every nerd on the planet hates. But here, yeah, a pretty solid amount the fucking of masterpiece. And for me, I, I compare that to the Avengers, which is, you know, not what I wanted to do, but was hard to, hard not to do in some points. And the moment where um, Iron Man's falling from the sky and Hulk swoops up and picks him up. And like, it's such a, it's an emotional moment. You feel what it took to get to that point. And it felt like Guardians of the Galaxy was getting me there and kind of trying to set it all up to get me there and then really had to force the issue when the time came. And it's not I, that I minded seeing all those people together. And it's not that I wasn't happy to see Peter Quill finally put his hand out. But there's no like... There's no logical through line for it. It's just kind of put there for well, you and you say, oh, yes, I see what you're trying to do, but you don't actually feel it. And I did. I almost wish it had just kind of stayed snarky the whole time and not tried to get me there so that I couldn't kind of see it fail to reach that bar. I, 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 have, a, I have a question. I, I don't I, disagree, I but I have a question for Katie. Davis oh, yeah, go, go ahead. You know, Guardians of the Galaxy is really satisfactory. Uh, you get some of the character moments, but you want more. And you get some of the space battles, but you want it to be bigger. Or you w- want them to go to a planet and you want it to feel like, Moss Eisley from Star Wars, but it just feels like a, a soundstage with a few buildings in the background. Like, I just wanted it to be breathing more. And I don't know if it's a runtime thing or if this script could be put together in a more elegant fashion with a little more money that, behind the it. second one. Uh, that would allow long. it to do that. I know. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I didn't think it was very slow. It kept it kept jumping from point to point in their, in their mission to find this orb. Um, but... Uh, you you want more scenes where they're talking to each other or they're bouncing ideas off or like the end of the movie is them finally teaming up and taking down the bad guy. But like it feels truncated in a way because there's a huge space battle happening, like more of them teaming up with their powers and what they do best. And Dave, you will, just there ever see be, it will there ever be a Marvel movie that is about people not chasing a shiny light of one color or another? No, because we're building the Infinity Gauntlet. Oh, my God. Well, I mean, here's the, answer, the thing. Right? <laughs> Well, I, I mean, the thing is, is that if that's going to kill a movie for you, it's then... not. It's I'm just I'm just over okay, it now. The like, answer is probably they chase no the blue light. And then they chase the purple light and then they chase the fucking green light. No, I mean, eventually, the only thing you could hope for is eventually when all these things become the ultimate MacGuffin, they carry somewhat of history in your mind to previous things. And it'll hopefully feel like some sort of grand event. But no, a rainbow going to be my, that's that's why I want to praise Guardians so much is because this is what all Marvel movies are. This is just the best at doing it because it doesn't lean on anything else. It's capable of taking the formula and pairing it with the director and going for broke on a lot of ideas and it doesn't fall on its face as easy as it could have considering, you know, it's two sort of scene-stealing characters or a space raccoon and a mutant tree that ends up, you know, being like, I don't know, something that I've loved on screen more than I thought I'd be capable of loving something through one screening. Did you ever see a movie called The Iron Giant? <laughs> I did. I mean, it's very similar. This this movie felt like a great television pilot. Like, I wanted to see wow. more small episodes of this. I mean, it's basically Serenity. I think I think this movie owes a lot to... Serenity and some not exactly Star well, I mean, Wars. Some of these. I don't like, think that's. I don't think that's a mistake. It owes a lot tales. to Star Wars. I really don't actually. Um, I think it owes a lot to movies that tried to be Star Wars with small budgets, which is basically what Guardians is. Well, that's what um, Star Wars was. Not really. The first one. 
Eh, I disagree. But I, I don't want to get off on that tangent. But I'm saying that it feels like a pilot because there's all these characters, right? And there's, like, this whole world that you just want to, like, turn the corner and explore. Like, John C. Riley and Glenn Coase as the Nova uh, cops and just, Glenn like, what Close. they're all about. And what? What? Close got is going to build a fantastic beach house, and she was on that set for two days. <laughs> I thought she was well, funny. Was... She was really no. hilarious. God, or like John... the whole setup that that Gamora is the sister of. Well, she's like the half Gamora sister of sucks. Nebula, Karen Gillan's Nebula character, sucks too. and they're both adopted right, by. Thanos. Can we talk about the women? The women thing, and by the women thing, I mean women. <laughs> um, they, I think this is. Uh, the second Marvel film of the year to do this and the umpteenth film of the summer, not called Lucy, to um, to remind us that Hollywood, even though this film was co-written by a woman, the first Marvel film to do so, has a huge and continuing, uh, as you've heard and as you've seen for yourself and should be actively aware, problem of creating interesting, strong female roles. This is a movie where there are as many and more entertaining roles for a mutant raccoon and tree than that, are, um, for, who are both identifiably male, I might add. Uh, how did how did you how did you come to that how did you come to that rec- rec- recognition? What? Have you have you gendered a lot of trees in your life? I have gendered sure trees. When you hire Rocket Vin Diesel, you're going for male. male <laughs> Although, please, if if Groot is actually uh, non-gendered, I would be thrilled to write that. <laughs> He, he is adorable. Maybe he come. Oh, I was going to spoil adorable. something, but I won't. Why would Why would you gender Groot? Oh, first of all, okay, that's not what I'm requesting. They right. definitely <laughs> refer to Groot as him. Like that definitely right. happens. Oh, probably. But and Gamora, just, and it, it hurts that much more because Gamora is a terrible character. There's nothing there, nothing, and it's it's really a disaster. And well, Marvel, I, I think Marvel should. You know, in my dream world, uh, they scuttle Avengers 2 and and make a Black Widow movie yesterday or simply buy the rights to Lucy, call it Black Widow. But but I think Gamora and Lucy are the same problem. And actually, our colleague Amy Nicholson pointed to this when she wrote about Lucy, which is they're strong female characters because they're physically strong. They can kick people's asses, but they're not interesting. They have no layers. Um, And Lucy has the same problem. I don't want to go on. I think we're not not talking about that. That's another another Uh, issue altogether. I mean, I I do agree that that Gamora is very thin, but I do think Zoe Saldana enlivens her with something more than... Um, mm. Other female no. characters, wait, other wait, female wait. characters in the Marvel universe. Wait, wait, is Gamora? I hadn't done this twice already. Is Gamora, exactly. Thank is Gamora you. thinner than Drax? I mean, yeah, I think Drax so. is quite mus- muscular. No, no, but bit. I mean, like, if we're just talking, are we talking about performance? Is what I'm asking. I think we're talking about like what purpose they are able to play, like. There are no jokes at Gamora's expense. Like she's the thing not is that Gamora serves like a figure of fun the way the Drax is. Her only purpose sexy. is to serve the male lead. I mean, like she doesn't. Her character. I mean, there's some lip service paid to shit about her adopted father, or whatever. Nobody cares. Like she's really there to trump up and, and provide stakes and and interest for the male lead and Drax. You know, while I don't think that he is any more of a dynamic character than Gamora, he at least is there. Has his own purpose that rings a little bit more lucidly and clearer and stands on its own um, without being subservient to another man other than the person that he wants to kill. So I think this is where the action, the the shooting of the action becomes an issue. Like Gamora doesn't get a moment, a moment of ferocity motivated by anything she has going on. Yeah, but it's really, 
again, it's it's very short and it's poorly shot and it doesn't get a moment of true like sisterhood gone wrong, right? We it's not they mention family in that fight, but it's not about family. You don't see two histories clashing right then. There's nothing well, building up to that. And I would I'd argue that's well, a problem with the emotions of the movie as a whole. I don't think that's specific to that. Scene. Well, that's I was actually going to point to an, a, a fight early in the movie when Gamora is uh, supposedly working for uh, Lee Pace, Ronan, uh, and trying to get the Ronan order from Pharaoh, the destroyer. Peter Quill. Yes, Ronan Farrow. I put her on assignment um, out in the field. <laughs> and uh, she's trying to get the order from Peter Quill, right? And this scene is so poorly choreographed and devised, like running around – um, the Nova Prime City, whatever it's called. I can't keep track of all the names, which I'm thankful for because it's so strange. Uh, but it's so poorly shot around this fountain scene. They're like tackling each other. Who is she? We've rushed through this whole backstory and she doesn't get a real moment to shine. Not like Dave Batista as Drax, who he's he wants to take down Ronan and he gets a moment in the spotlight to really like wax poetic and be kind of Shakespearean about his fight and really stand against his opponent for two seconds. Gamora does not get any of that. And it's an action thing. It's about shooting action. I mean, I I definitely agree with that. I just want to be, when we're talking about like Gamora isn't a full character, her purpose in this movie is definitely lacking but in terms of how much we get of her backstory and whatnot, it's not any more or less than we get with somebody like Drax. Right. But so you have to inject it. You have to fill these characters out with the action beats or with these kind of exhilarating comedy beats where they're running around town being chased by people. They're always being chased by someone. Um, and that's where the movie kind of fails her. I don't really think it fails her in the kind of loose characterization script way. It fails her in action beats and making those emotional i totally i totally agree with that i just think it's like yes there should be more strong female characters in superhero movies but i think what we're seeing is not um ignorance of that but like failed attempts uh, in this case i think on like a weird technical level like we kept hearing when this movie was about to come out i'm sorry to get a little bit behind the scenes about how cool that like last fight scene between her and kieran gillian was gonna be and then like a whole bunch of it's from like a top down angle and it's like why even have them choreograph that fight at that point right it, it felt really weird that's what it, i really of... meant by the wide shots by the way i totally agree when like peter quill's floating around in space there are moments of grandeur when it's just cg yeah. backdrops or and the, characters the pr- moving around but I I think I know how the prisons laid. I think I know how the prisons laid out pretty well. See the prison scene, the choreography and geography in that is so jumbled. It's very erratic. Well, this is what I was wasn't there. I would have been totally uh, lost. This this is what I was saying to Katie afterwards. There's something in that happens in the prison scene, which is obviously only just a little bit irksome in the moment, but I think is also emblematic of why these Marvel movies keep stumbling for me is when they are, uh, they hit the button, rocket hits the button and it causes, um, it rewires the gravitation in the prison and all, everybody starts floating and it's, it's this, it happens suddenly. You don't know what he's up to until you see its effects. And it's, it's this beautiful little moment. There's some, not emotionally, but there's a, some aesthetic pleasure to be had, a little sense of wonder. Uh, and then the movie stops dead in tracks for to have, uh, 
Zoe Saldana in one of her terrible lines be like, did you just revert like onto the gravity and now everyone's floating in front of our faces? And it's just like way to ruin the moment. You're way to be the person who comes in and asks to explain the joke. I mean, uh, I, I, I totally agree with you there, but that's James Gunn. And that's something that it's like it's going to take a few more movies to train that out of him. Is that yeah, James that Gunn? Because I saw Super awkward. and I saw Slither and I don't see that as a readily identifiable part of his you know, character as a filmmaker. Well, I mean, I think what he constantly does is switches tone and then drops a single line in between, you know, awe and plot or dumb and crass. And I, I, I guess maybe I picked a wrong line to draw this stance, but I, w- I would say a lot of those weird... Uh, you should be feeling this inconsistencies is James Gunn being afraid you won't know how to feel. I think so. You don't think that's instructions from above that's notes to... I mean, it it might have been, but I don't think that he would be resistant to that. I think a lot of uh, the beginning of Super suffers from the exact same thing where it's like, hey, you know this is a tongue-in-cheek thing, right? Because things are about to get really dark. And then at the end of that movie, he sort of loses that safety I think for better, other people have thought for worse. But, you know, I think that's uh, that's something I've seen in his work. Maybe it maybe it is a bad thing. I don't know. Well, one of the things he did really well in the terms of those kinds of tonal shifts, like there's a moment where Chris Pratt has kind of stuck his neck out to hope rescue Gamora, and um, he kind of gives this speech, and they're very close, and it's this emotional moment, and he kind of turns it on a dime. And you've seen that kind of thing before, but that version of it is funny. And th- that kind of thing happens from time to time where it kind of undercuts itself in a way that doesn't feel doesn't feel insecure. I mean, it doesn't feel the way that Joss Whedon would do it, which I, you know, I get a little, I get a little sick of Joss Whedon kind of specific brand of that humor. So I was, I was grateful for that. I liked that James Gunn brought a slight variation on that version. Yeah, I think another way that this movie sort of feels insecure is it knows it needs to do the info drop, but it very quickly disposes it. Like, here's what's inside that orb. Benicio del Toro talks for three minutes, which I think has been our shortest info dump in a Marvel movie thus far. Yeah, but the Benicio del Toro character is a disaster. That I, mean, I definitely agree with, and we should talk about that more at some future point. I think to, I think Patches might be on board with this as well. That you know, it's it's less to me about how he looks or sounds or the things he says uh, than the problem is how he's dumped into this movie in the middle of it and completely kills the forward momentum. Um, and I thought he was going to be really dangerous, and he turns out to be. I thought he was the villain. A really like flaccid character like his his he mistreats these women characters that work for him and that like and they he turns them into mindless yeah Yeah. slaves and when she leads him peter quill and gamora into this chamber i'm like this is gonna be a big deal like he's gonna be a real danger to this whole plot and it's just it goes absolutely nowhere it's it's startling I mean, but it's disposed of as quickly as any of these things have happened. And I was just like, okay, well. If it was an episode of the Guardians of the Galaxy TV show, on the other hand, then I would have been totally down. (laughs) Marvel has had nothing but success with their TV ventures, so. I mean, (laughs) the Guardians of the Galaxy TV show actually, I think, is coming. They are trying to make an animated show, which sounds perfect. I mean, I would watch an animated show. I would totally watch an animated show with this. It would be so much better. Well, we'll be seeing Guardians 2. When would you watch this show? Really? You're going to sit down on a Saturday morning and watch the show? (laughs) You would listen to Dave and I's podcast about the animated Guardians. I would listen to your podcast about this. No, I like... I, I like so much about, and, on, and I actually want to stick up more for Guardians of the Galaxy. Yes, I was about to say, Katie, tell us all why this movie is really fun, because it is. 
I thought, yeah, I think it is really funny. I think it's really funny. I laughed a lot, even when some of the jokes were a little bit more broy than what I expect from Marvel. Um, I mean, I think there's been a consistent like level of humor in Marvel movies that this one definitely shies away from, which is actually a good thing. Even if not all the jokes are something that are like my favorite thing, I like having a little bit of variety in that. I think Chris Pratt is really, really fun to watch. I was actively rooting against a romance between him and Gamora, but you know, I recognize that these things are um, necessary. And like we've been saying, the moments when all these characters are sitting around together and plotting jailbreaks and talking to each other and ribbing each other are really wonderful. I was rooting for this team to come together more so than when, you know, they were saying, we are now a family, we will work together. That stuff, as I said before, rang hollow. But I mean, there is something to me, and this is me who's seen each Star Wars movie like once or twice and isn't that passionate about it, but it's a lot of it was as fun for me as the original Star Wars and watching something that's, you know, awkward in moments. But it has people who I care about with stakes that are, you know, significant, but not overly complicated. I mean, I could rant for hours about how I fall asleep as soon as the alien Marvel villains start talking to each other. I think we haven't mentioned Ronan the Accuser at all. He's technically the main villain of this movie. He is a snooze and a half. (laughs) What's so funny about uh, Ronan is that when we go meet the collector, Benicio Del Toro, his character, he keeps all these like specimens in chambers and like one of them is a dark elf from Thor 2 and one of them is a Chathuri warrior. Steve, the the Chathuri warrior specifically. Um, And I'm like, oh my God, they're all the same. Like you're seeing them there, and they just oh, all yeah. look exactly the <laughs> yeah. same. And like, that makes it so the, obvious. The dog that I thought was Leica, but apparently is actually a, a Marvel character, which is just like fuck you, Marvel. Like, wait, that's you, a, you wait th- really? You threw me a bone. I thought we had a real world historical character here. Well, I was I excited mean, about, and then you were like, "No, it's some nerd shit from a comic." Wait, wait, David. Wait, what is your complaint here? He's the it's, phase wait, wait, three wait. villain. David, David, you're talking uh, about Cosmo the dog, who's based on Leica. They just, okay. you know, these these Why things can't were written. Actually, be Leica because these things were written, you know, further back when is you know, he maybe we didn't a phase wanna... three villain? No, he's not a villain. No, but <laughs> I. If if you guys you know really enjoy Cosmo, I think there's potential for him to do something weird. If you make I've, that dog a phase three villain, Dave, Dave will, David will take back everything he just said. Dave, I, I, Dave, you would agree this is the the worst film of the year, correct? So it sounds like. <laughs> I no. mean, I would say. <laughs> Who doesn't love Groot in this movie, da- David? You gotta love Groot at least. Oh, Garth. Uh, no, can we do I, a quick, I, uh, do a I quick Marvel check in on these, like. I think I don't think I like this as much as Winter Soldier, but I like it better than most everything else except the Avengers. Maybe I think it's better than Winter Soldier. I think uh, I it, Soldier, it's just like Winter Soldier was just like this is more of the same. I'm just so done with those characters unless something really snazzy happens with them, and I still have some faith in Joss Whedon for the Avengers too. Although very concerned about all of these this minion these armies of of robots that are sort of like the yes. Chitauri. Uh, so why sick of more? Like a Stop! Faceless aliens being the villains at the end of these movies. <laughs> oh and my also, God. I'm real. I don't know if this counts as a spoiler. Alien spacecraft hovering over cities as the finales of movies. Oh my God, please stop. Guys, this is why Green Lantern was so good. <laughs> Green Lantern, uh, I, ha- I hate to say this, but Green Lantern, Lantern is a better movie than Guardians of the he Galaxy. He used his rings to have jet right. fuel drag the evil CGI cloud into the sun. The oh evil CGI God, cloud was trying to eat the Earth. 
You know, I still it had a face. It had a face that cloud. Shout out, shout out to Galactus in the second Fantastic Four movie, who I still thought was very cool just because of the sheer immensity of of him and the sort of harbinger of death that the Silver Surfer was. Plus a face. But I did think that for novelty alone, this was I had a better time with this than I did with Captain America, which also felt watered down, but felt like a watered down version of. Um, even less interesting movies or movies that we see more often. Uh, yeah, I mean, this is we all know how I feel about Marvel movies. I think to say that this was my second favorite of them doesn't do all that much because um, the <laughs> Avengers victories. is still the only one that I really enjoyed. Um, but uh, yeah, I think it's uh, that's that's what I'll say about that. I think a lot of the faults of this movie point out to me why the Avengers is so great. Like I was talking about the emotion before and then just some other things about how the story is put together. The Avengers is really has done it so much better than any of the other Marvel movies that were cool. Hmm. I would definitely say this is my top five Marvel movies. I'm not going to be more specific until I get more time to watch it, obviously. But I think it's going to end up being more rewatchable than the Avengers because it's like the Avengers is good when you get to that payoff which I could skip to now that I've seen the Avengers a lot. But like the first half of that movie is weird. And the way I still don't really know who Hawkeye is in this universe is weird. And Guardians just immediately comes out with five people I love and gives me, you know, like an hour plus with them. And uh, awesome. I could Jeremy do that. Jeremy Renner is terrible. Jeremy Renner is terrible and everything. Hawkeye will always be terrible. Just give up. Dave, I agree wow. with what you just said, actually. I think the characters in this are more immediately better established. Than it's fun. It's just... It's, it's like a little bar of chocolate that I'm going to have for like every Thanksgiving between now and whenever the next good bar of chocolate comes out. See, I thought this was like a sniff of cocaine when I wanted to just inhale a mountain of cocaine. And I wow. want more now. LA Patches, <laughs> if I, uh, if I had a dollar for every time you wanted a mountain of cocaine. I um I don't I really just don't know where the money goes in these Marvel movies. I can't believe I how much know. Dave hated this movie. It was- <laughs> I am Groot. I, I am Groot. I did love Groot. Before we get into the lightning round answers, I want to bring up one other movie that David Ehrlich would probably hate if he ever saw it, uh, which I don't think he ever will. He never get on will. Well, actually, if it's on like rotation on oh, yeah, HBO, might be on HBO or something, it's and David will definitely going to be. Two in the morning. <laughs> um, correct, David? Do we have this right? Uh, what? What? Who? What? That's exactly uh, what you're going to do when it starts playing on HBO no. when you're, gonna, you're on you've Never heard of this movie before? Get on up! No, I'm a Tate Taylor completist. Please. Um, I like to get on up. I also like to the help, so you feel free to take my uh, recommendation with a grain of salt. But I think Chadwick Boseman is really amazing playing James Brown, and that goes a long way in a movie that's you know it's a biopic. It's got a couple things going for it that are different from the usual. I think it's more stylish than uh, certainly than the help, and then a lot of other biopics. But the main thing is you get to watch Chadwick Boseman play a pretty incredible James Brown, and James Brown was a pretty incredible figure. Uh, and then there's great performances from Viola Davis, who has, you know, a small role, but bigger than what you might expect. And then this guy who plays Little Richard is amazing. The guy who plays uh, Bobby Bird, who was kind of James Brown's uh, right-hand man for a long time. His Nelson Ellis, he's great. Uh, there's just a lot more to it than just here's the story of a great and complicated man, which is what I like so much about it. Patches, did you, uh, have you, have you warmed on it or... 
I, I like it. I mean, again, all the performances are really good, including Dan Aykroyd. Dan Aykroyd. Just, just a bizarre presence now in all movies. Um, but I feel like we need to adjust our definition of stylish here, especially <laughs> after well, Guardians of the Galaxy the and Get On Up. Well, I mean, even compared to The Help, I mean, The Help has a gloss to it, but it's it ends up being kind of a throwback and feels stylish compared to its surroundings. And Get On Up is like the conventional Hollywood sheen version of I'm Not There. It's just, it's uh, it wishes it could be stylish, but Tate Taylor does not have... <laughs> A, a stylish bone in his body. He's not, it, he's just shooting this as simply as possible. And like anything, he, he tries to be impressionistic, but it's paint by numbers. It's very funny to see him try and be like dangerous with his camera work or playing quick and fast and loose with, um, you know, facts and dreams and memories. And it doesn't, that does not play, but all the actors do. And the music is so much better than anything in Jersey Boys. Let me stress that. That's really how I walked out of the theater, thinking, like, James Brown music is a, so much better than Frankie Valli music. Given that two people on this earth saw Jersey Boys. Yeah, I guess that's not a problem for people, but uh, get on up. I, I definitely, I would recommend this movie. Yeah. Okay, now, Patches, what was this week's lightning round question? Me? Oh, my God. You, um, this is always you. This is always me on these episodes, but sometimes it's Dave on other episodes. Anyway, what am I Dave saying? Like uh, so this week's lightning round question is in honor of Gardens of the Galaxy. What's the weirdest character you've ever uh, – um, or you've emo- you are emotionally attached to? I'm reading your tweet about this, Katie, and oh, you have a giant it, typo. But people get the picture. What, what's the weirdest character you've been emotionally attached to? You have. You've, 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 you have emotionally attached to. Your contraction's oh, fine, I Katie. You're good. I see, I see. You have emotionally attached to this character. Yes, exactly. That's <laughs> All right. No, you're right. You're correct. Dave, what's your answer? Yeah. Shut up. Uh, I'm going to go with, oh, uh, Anji Han, or Twitter user. Anji, Ad- wait, what? You know, it's Angie. You know Angie. <laughs> Angie Han, uh, or Twitter user AJ Han. I pronounce her name like I feel like pronouncing it apparently. Sorry, Patch just called it Gardens of the Galaxy a second ago. <laughs> when did no I say one, that? No one said anything. Thank you. See? Two seconds ago. Uh, let's what? Just, uh, I really appreciate when Patch just calls it Gardens of the Galaxy. <laughs> what is this? I see that sort movie. Of per- Sort of pronunciation police. Angie, sorry. Anyway, um, um, who said that maybe the Mudos from Godzilla? Because if you could enjoy watching the hottest sex scene of the summer, uh, you must love the Mudos. <laughs> Sick. David, what's your pick? Well, I think this is the first time that I've been one of the answers. So I think, <laughs> I think that I have to go with Eric D. Snyder, who says David Ehrlich. Actually, Actually, multiple people said David Ehrlich. Yeah, there's a couple, there's a couple oh, really? of David Ehrlichs. Oh, wow. Huh. Look at you. Never felt so popular. <laughs> Ashes, what's your pick? Um, yes. Uh, first off, I apologize for calling it Gardens of the Galaxy. Two hours sleep. Although you uh, would see that movie, too. But I would see it. Uh, just like of the nice lo- The Collector, lots- that's his one shot. Gardens of the Galaxy, starting Benicio <laughs> Del Toro. Yeah, lo- lots of wide shots. Oh, it's a poem. Beautiful garden vistas. Just show me those alien plants. Uh, I'm going to go with at... Patrick underscore Wren, Pat Reynolds, who said, I was inexplicably invested in the redemptive journey of the rock monsters from Noah earlier this year. Come at me, bros. I will echo that sentiment. And Wait, say, what's Noah? Well, fuck you. What? Noah is one of the best movies of the year. <laughs> oh, my God. Boom. 
Come no, at me, bros. I mean, uh, now you're just trolling me live on <laughs> Why? I don't know why he says inexplicably invested, because I actually I thought the, especially when they're walking around early in the film, kind of leading Noah and trying to learn to be friends with the humans, that that is, I, I got a I think teary. he probably said inexplicably because he's a little bit more in touch with reality than you are. <laughs> <laughs> I'm part CG. That's what people don't know. When they <laughs> call me weird, it's because I'm, a, I'm like half Jar Jar Binks. Well, and David mm-hmm. is a non-human character. It's really two of you. I'm going. I'm going with Jesse Carp, who just says Wilson, which I can't believe I didn't think. Because God, I felt so bad for Wilson. Yeah, come he and floated get your away. Love come and get your love. Come and get your love. Anybody else? Okay. No. That That's how we ended last week's episode. <laughs> that does it for today's Fighting in the War Room. Uh, three of us will be back next week. Dave is taking a brief hiatus. Uh, do you want to explain what's going on, Dave, or you just want to leave it a mystery? I'm going to move to a flyover state, so expect me to continue not seeing the movies uh, until I come back, Miss Joanna Robinson, who you might have heard on some other podcasts that we do. Or things in this feed will be taking my place here on the podcast. And everyone's going to be real nice to her while also fighting with her because that's the premise. But uh, everyone remember, Dave still loves you. We're still a family. So uh, anybody get too upset? Cool. Oh, you, you'll never be rid of me. Just <laughs> <laughs> none of you. Even if just the people listening. It's 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 a virus. It's called Gonzalaria. You've all got it. Oh, We're either going to die of Dave or Ebola, which never gets us first. <laughs> um, anyway, we will, the, the show itself will be back next week. In the meantime, everybody tell the people who you are, especially Dave, since you're going to have to be hunted down in the deserts of Colorado from now on. Yeah. Does that mean I go first? Or oh, we do yeah, have I just order. the order, but yeah. Sure. I guess it does. Oh, hey, my name's Dave Gonzalez. I'm by far the most important person on this podcast, apparently. My Twitter handle is DA7E. I write about superhero movie news and Star Wars on latino-review.com and do a podcast about The Legend of Korra, which was on Nickelodeon but is now on nick.com at republiccitydispatch.com with Matt Patches. Yes, I am Matt Patches, and I write all across the internet and put it on mattpatches.com, and I'm on Twitter at Mr. Patches, and tonight I'm going to dream of Green Lantern. <laughs> like I'm, I'm David Ehrlich. I'm the editor-at-large of Little White Lies magazine. I write for Dissolve and uh, the AV Club, and you can find me on Twitter at David Ehrlich and Criterion Corner. And I'm Katie Rich. You can find me at Vanity Fair's Hollywood alongside Joanna Robinson. So we're going to have a, a nice takeover in the next weeks. Uh, you can also find me on Twitter at Katie Rich, K-A-T-E-Y-R-A-C-H. Thank you for listening, and we'll be back talking to you next week. <laughs>